What is up, everybody? My name is Matt Cordova. I'm the senior pastor here at The River, and we are excited that you are listening to our podcast. Now, before the message starts, there's three things that we would love for you to do. One, we would love for you to share it. Two, we would love for you to subscribe. And three, we would love for you to go and rate it. So the message is about to begin. I hope it encourages you, and I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. If you were here with us probably a year ago, we did a series called Date Night. This is volume two. This is volume two. Here's what we want to do in this series, right? We want to um, look at the Bible, look at God's word, and learn how to do relationships God's way. That's the whole goal of this. And I believe that it doesn't matter what season you're in, if you're single and ready to mingle, if you're engaged in planning, you're married and doing good, or married and struggling, there is something that we can always take from God's word and apply right where we are, right? So when you hear date night, don't just think, oh, this is a marriage series. No, this is an equipping series, right? This, is, this was our prayer for today, is that um, if you were married, that you would continue to grow together. If you're engaged, that you would um, be more prepared. And that if you're single, that you would become who God's called you to be before you get into the relationship. So we're not trying to grow to catch up. We're already there, right? That's our plan for this series. Now, yesterday we had our EXO conference. This is awesome. We had 34 couples, 74 people gather in this room to grow and invest in their relationships. It was an amazing thing. And what we're going to do is we're going to go after them. We're going to go after relationships, go after growing, go after preparing, grow after, go after molding. Another thing that you could do, maybe you missed out on XO conference and you're like, man, I missed my opportunity. Well, we got something for you. That sounds like a commercial. Um, uh, starting on February 27th at 9 a.m., uh, Mike Brambick and his wife, Brandy, will be leading a class in our fellowship hall called Marriage on the Rock. It's a 10-week class, and it's an amazing class. There's child care provided. If you're interested in this, you can sign up for it on our website or our app. All right? So let's do this. Let's dive into the Bible. If you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18, if you don't have a Bible, it'll pop up on the the Sky Bible. Here's what's going on while you're turning there. Genesis. Genesis means beginning, right? It means the start of something. Um, And when we read Genesis, let me kind of give you a lens through which to read it. Genesis is not a scientific explanation to how the world begins, right? We need to understand that, right? It's not a scientific explanation to how the world begins. Actually, if you understand the history, Moses is the the author of the book of Genesis. Moses wasn't there on day one, was he? No, we'll we'll get to the kind of the people who were around when creation was started. But Moses is leading a people who have been captive in a polytheistic, which means multiple God world for 400 years. So for 400 years, this people that he's leading has heard how the Egyptians' gods have created the world, how the god of Ra has created the world, how the god Anubis, the god of war, their moon god, how they all participated in the creation of the world. So when Moses writes this, God kind of gives him this, and he's like, this is what I want you to tell my people. This is really how the world started. It started with me speaking. So what we see in Genesis is that God has been working, he's been creating, and he's speaking, and then we finally get to this point where something isn't good, and God's going to address it. So in verse 18, that's where we'll start. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. 
I will make a helper corresponding to him. Jump down to verse 21. It says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from the man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they will become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. You know what's interesting about that? That little uh, part where, where he's like, and the man said, you know, what, you know what Adam was doing? That was a praise song. He was praising because God had given him somebody. He was praising because he had given him a woman, right? A partner, somebody to co-labor with. When is the last time you thank God for your spouse? I'm not even diving in yet. This is still the intro. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when is the last time you just sat around and you're like, God, thank you for giving me Alexis? No, a lot of times our prayers are, God, please let them have a good day so that we can have a nice dinner tonight. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? When is the last time that you praised God for your spouse? Or if you're not married, your future spouse? A lot of times if we're single, what we do is we put on this expectation for God to give us this spouse. But what about thanking him beforehand for things to come? Here's what I want to talk about. Here's where I want to go today. Today, I want to talk about the focus of relationships. The focus of relationships. Everybody turn to neighbor and say, stay focused. Post in the chat, stay focused. Let's pray. So dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for today. God, we thank you uh, just for the ability to gather and to meet, God. And we thank you that you use the image of marriage. To, to show us what our relationship is supposed to look like with you. So help us grow in every season of life that we are. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. The focus, the focus of, focus is a very important thing in life. Would you guys agree with that? Like life requires us to focus. And I would propose that if you say you have no focus, you've actually focused on not being focused, right? So there's always a focus, but why do we need focus? Well, if you got a job, you got to focus to get the things done or at least to do them well, right? Um, if you have goals, you've got to stay focused for however long it takes you to accomplish that goal. Certain tasks in life require more focus, right? If you want, uh, for our teenagers or for us old, older, I don't want to say old, but older generation that haven't quite put the cleats up and think that we're still athletes, you got to be focused to play sports, right? Essentially, focus is something that we need to progress in life. Now, when I think about sports, you guys know I, I grew up, I played sports. I love sports. The two sports that I loved the most were, were football and baseball. I love football and baseball. In football, I was a quarterback. I was like the shortest quarterback ever, right? So, except for in sixth grade. I was this tall in sixth grade. I, I beat everybody there. Somehow, everybody passed me. I, apparently, I didn't focus on growing. You know what I mean? But I, I, I was a quarterback in, 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 in football. I was a catcher in baseball. And in those sports, it requires you to throw something, right? Um, so if I'm going to throw something, I need to keep my eyes on the target. When you're teaching your kids to throw a ball, exactly, right? When you're teaching your kids to throw a ball, what do you tell them? Look where you're going to throw. How many people like to shoot? Let's use a shooting. This is Texas. Come on. We got guns, right? We got guns. Let's say you got a target off that's at a mile or more. Okay? It's a mile or more away, and you got to focus on this target, right? You don't just pick up the gun and go, gat, gat, and got it. That's not how it works. 
You usually put a scope on that bad boy. You're trying to figure out the curvature of the earth, the wind speed, all of this other stuff. There's a lot of focus engaged. So there's a beauty of focus. The beauty of focus is that it takes me towards my intended target. And here's the thing is even if I miss, I'm still close. Anybody ever seen the movie The Patriot? If you haven't, you need to watch it. If you're an American, you got to go watch The Patriot, okay? In the movie the, the Patriot, this is what Mel Gibson says. He says, aim small, miss small. So the tighter that I focus, the less chance I have of missing, right? So if there's a focus, it takes me towards the intended target. Even if I miss the focus, even if I miss the target, it takes me nearby. So what happens without focus? There's no telling where it's going to end up. We're in basketball season right now, but a lot of um, the worst passes in the game are no-look passes. Why? There's no focus, right? You see people do no-look passes, and they throw it all over the place. Why? Because there's no focus. Can you see where I'm going here, right? When it comes to uh, relationships or just life in general, what has been your focus? I mean, what is it that you're moving towards, or have you even thought about it? Is it possible that you are where you are right now because you've just kind of been going with, through life with the focus of, I just want to get through today? How many of you understand that's a focus? Is it possible that re- your relationships could be where they are right now is because our focus is, all right, we're just, we just got to make it. Please be happy. You know what I mean? Because that's a focus. Like I, like I was saying earlier, to not have a focus is a focus. You are intentionally where you are, whether you want it to be or not. If your marriage is growing, if you've got goals as a couple or goals as an individual, you progress in them by keeping your eye on the target, right? But if you take your eye off or if your goal is to just get through life, you may end up in a spot where you don't want to be. So here's what I want to do. I want to start in Genesis, and here's the reason why. I believe that the end is taking us back to the beginning. What, what am I saying? That um, God is restoring all things back to what it was in the garden before sin entered the world. Right? That's what I think is happening. So in the beginning, we know that there's God, and God begins to create. Right? He, he begins to create, and he eventually gets to this point where he makes mankind in his image and likeness. Right? And, and he notices that everything's good. Like, let's go. He, he, he uh, makes light. Let there be light. Right? We love that. Let there be light. Uh, and there's light, and then there's darkness. He separates it. He says it was good the first day, evening, then there's morning. Right? Then he creates, um, he divides the water from the earth and the water from the sky. That's a, 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 it's a really interesting uh, dynamic when you learn about what the ancients actually believed, but it's beautiful, right? Then he starts, uh, you know, he makes the soon, the soon, the, that's the, the sun and moon together, okay? If you don't know what that is, a soon, when people say that they're going to be the, there soon, they're talking about the sun and the moon. They're not talking about time. Just kidding. Um, he makes the sun, he makes the moon, and then he gives them the ability to rule with the light that he'd already created. I'm going to give you the sun, the ability to rule, to shine light during the day. I'm going to give the moon and the stars the ability to, to shine at night. And then all of a sudden, there's, there's, uh, there's fish in the sea, and then land, and birds from the sky, and he makes mankind. And after all of this, it's all good until he realizes, hey, it's, uh, it's not good for man to be alone. Right, that's Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, we actually see that he makes them in a certain order, in a progression, right? First, he makes man, realizes it's not good. So let's look at verse 18 again. It says, then the Lord said, it is what? Not good, not good, not good. Everybody turn your neighbor and say, not good. Not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper 
corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. He took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. Now this is where it gets really awesome, because at the end of the story, we have three major characters. So we're going to try something for the first time. We're going to draw up on this board. So if you bring that up, yes. All right, so in the beginning, there was God, and God's got a bicep. Uh, The reason that I put it on the right arm is because God talks oftentimes that I'm going to deliver you with my strong right hand. So Jesus does only right bicep day, or God does, okay? So he's got a bicep. He's big. He's strong. And what we see is God, the the Hebrew word for God is Elohim. God will go and he'll make man. Um, So why am I going to use a stick figure? Because we're made in his image and likeness. And that's the only way I can make that happen, right? So God makes man. The Hebrew word for man is ish, right? Y'all see that? And then from there, progression, he makes woman, right? Here's woman. She's got curly hair all over the place. Uh, she fancy, right? And then we got woman. The Hebrew word for woman is isha. Now, that's really interesting, right? You see, man is ish, and from man you get isha. This is beautiful. It's a really uh, a creative way. But we know Adam, man's name was what? Adam, or the Hebrew way of saying it was Adam. But God made Adam from what? The ground. You know what the ground, the Hebrew word for ground is? Adamah. So from Adamah, you get Adam. From Ish, you get Isha. Right? Can you see? It's kind of a Hebrew word play. There's beauty in this graphic. So what we see is that God makes two separate entities. Right? He makes one. He makes man. Man was by himself. It's not good for man to be alone. What's really interesting is it, it kind of seems like this, but in Instead of making Eve immediately after, God gives Adam a task. He says, hey, I want you to name all the animals. So it's like, okay, I recognize there's a problem. I'm going to distract you by putting animals in front of you, and I want you to name them. And actually, what's beautiful about that is that God actually partners with Adam in that. Adam says, yeah, that's an elephant. God's like, yeah, that's an elephant. You know, that's a platypus. I don't know what that is, but I'll roll with it. You know what I mean? Like, God works with him on that. And then he finally comes up to this point where he's like, all right, I'm going to make woman. So we have God in the beginning who makes two separate entities. Can y'all see that? So what does he do after that? Look at verse 24. This is amazing. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother. It's going to pop up here in just a second. This is why a man leaves his father and mother in bonds, or another word is unites with his wife and they become one flesh. Let's go back to the drawing board. So he, he makes two separate entities, and what does he do? He brings them back to one again. Do you see that? This is why a man and woman bonds, unites. What does he create? The first relationship in the Bible between humanity. Y'all see that? God creates man, realizes it's not good for man to be alone. Here's an interesting statement. Was man alone? Man had a relationship with God. You know what I mean? But when God uh, created woman, he said it wasn't, he was, said it wasn't just good, it was very good. So think about this. When man had relationship with each other, when humankind was in relationship with each other and with God, it wasn't just good, it was very good. Can you, this, is, this is a side note, but this is why church is important. 
Because when we're, in, when we're in relationship with each other and God, life is very good. It doesn't matter what your struggle is. Oftentimes your breakthrough is in community. We tell people that all the time, that when you're in the hardest point of your life, who you surround yourself with in that given season will determine where you end up. If you surround yourself with people that speak death over the situation, guess what direction you're going to move. But what happens when you surround yourself with people that take you to God? You know what I mean? If your relationship is in a wreck, you, can, you have two choices. You can either surround yourself with people who justify why you're mad, or you can surround yourself with people who have the audacity and the boldness to say, listen, you're wrong. You need to go apologize. And it brings unity here. And then we can get work towards unity, continued unity with God. So here's why I'm showing you this. The focus of relationships is this. It's unity with each other and God to accomplish what God's called us to do. No matter what season you're in, single, engaged, married, our focus, the thing that we should be pushing towards in our life is unity, not uniformity. Uniformity means we look the same. Unity means we're walking together in the same direction. We're united. Even if we disagree, guess what? If you've been married, you're going to disagree. If you've dated, <laughs> you're going to disagree. You know what I mean? Have you ever tried to plan a wedding? You're going to disagree. You know what I mean? It's not uniformity. The focus of relationships is unity with each other and God to accomplish what God has called us to do. This is our aim. This is our focus. And, and let me ask some questions. Before sin, was there anything separating man from each other? Was there anything to bring division between Adam and Eve? Were they divided in any way? No, they were united. They've become one flesh, right? Um, before sin... Was there anything separating them from God? No. They were united with God. Here's the interesting thing. What was their task? Did they have different tasks? Did they have different roles? No. They had the same task. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. So they were united with each other. They were united with God to accomplish the same Task to accomplish what God has called them to do. Adam and Eve's job was to co-labor with God in subduing the earth. Now, here's the question I want to ask. Was one greater than the other? Was Adam greater than Eve or Eve greater than Adam? Well, let me say it this way. Is one more valuable than the other? Is one of more importance than the other? I would propose maybe our world says so. But let's look at what the Bible says. Because for many people, you'd be like, well, God, Matt, doesn't the Bible say that Eve was his helper? You know what I mean? Like Eve was, I was like, that's a good point, right? That's a, I mean, if we're going to look at the Bible, let's look at that. Eve was his helper. Um, let's, uh, the Hebrew word for helper is azer. Everybody say, turn to your neighbor and say, azer, azer, azer. This is what azer means. It means to help or to assist. Now, I made a statement a couple weeks ago that says uh, where I learned that words don't mean things. People mean things by the word that they use, right? I use this example. Let's say we're hanging out and we hear two people say, hey, let's get together and go take them out. Like imagine you're just sitting down eating dinner and you hear two people say, hey, let's get together and go take them out. Well, if you turn and you look and you see a couple coaches, you're assuming, hey, let's get the team together and then let's go take Let's go take the team out on the field. Now, if you turn and you see a couple mobsters, your perception of that's going to change. You know, right? So the way that we understand what words means is to look at how it's continually used in the Bible. 
So I want to show you a couple of examples. This is just a couple. There's a, a, a variety of them, a lot of them, a plethora of, <laughs> I like that word. We should use that more often. But Psalm 70, verse 5, look at this. I am oppressed and needy. Hurry to me, God. You are my, everybody say there. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. Who is that talking about? God. This is the same word, the same word used to talk about God is the same word he uses to talk about woman as the helper. Let's look at another one. Psalms 146.5 says this. Happy is the one who is there, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. Can you see? Like the, it's, God doesn't use a term to define women as inferior. Helper, helper is not an inferior term. Right? You want me to tell you why I think he used the word helper? To complete the image. Right? Because man was made in his what? His image and his likeness. Right? So in order for us to accurately reflect God's image, it required that men need the help of woman. Let me show you this. This is interesting. Um, okay. So we, we it, well, let me answer this too. Does, does, am I saying that God doesn't have defining structures for marriage? No, I'm not. He does have a structure for marriage. We'll talk about that next week. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. Is there a structure for your household? Yes. Many marriages get in trouble. Many relationships get in trouble because they don't pay attention to that structure. Or they lose focus of it. Uh, we were at the conference this weekend. They said one of the things that takes our focus away for men is work. And for women is children. And a lot of times that's what leads us to the struggles that we're in. Is we don't focus on our marriage or the structure that God's given us. We've actually focused on the blessings that God's given us. So it's almost like we worship the blessing instead of the person he gave us. Right? But when it comes to men and women, so is there a structure? Yes. When it comes to men and women, is one more valuable than the other? No. They're equal. They're equal. Uh, this is really interesting. So we read in that that God put Adam to sleep, and it says that he took a what? A rib, Right? Did you know in, in the Hebrew, that word is the word salah? That is the only time in the entire Bible that that word is translated as rib. That word uh, means side, or if we're going to be more specific, it means opposite side. So let's go back to the drawing board. I feel like we're in a football game. All right, go back to the drawing board. We're going to draw a boat. So we got the top part of the boat. This is a fancy boat. And then we got this. So... Let's say we only have this much of the bottom of the boat. What's going to happen to this boat? It's going to sink, right? Water's going to come get in right here, and everybody goes down. So he takes woman from uh, his selah, or the opposite side. So she becomes not a race. She becomes the opposite side of that boat. And when both sides are unified, working together in the same purpose, what happens to the boat? It floats. It floats. So this is what we need to think. If, if mankind is made in the image of God, then in a marriage relationship, when we are unified, we accurately reflect that image. Right? In a marriage relationship, when we're unified, we accurately Reflect that image. If you're engaged, your goal is to learn how to become unified because you're going to bring two separate worlds together. That's the miracle of marriage is you're bringing two separate goals, two separate experiences, two separate lifestyles back to one. And you've got to figure out how to make them 
work together. Why? So that my marriage can float. Right? If you're single, this is what I would tell you to do. Figure out how you can work on being unified with God, becoming that person walking out the image of God. Walking it out. Everybody say walking it out. Walking it out. What am I saying? Our faith life doesn't stop at salvation. It doesn't. We, we're having this conversation. This is way off, but anyways. We're having this conversation with the elders this morning. But how can we say yes to Jesus and stay right where we are? Think about that. How can you say, I gave my heart to Christ, which the Bible says then we have the Holy Spirit in our life. What does the Holy Spirit take us to? Holiness. So how can we say that we follow Jesus and stay in exactly in the same spot? You know I mean? It's, it's, there's, there's two parts of our Christian faith. One is justification. When you say yes to Jesus, you are justified, right? I, I like how one pastor said it, it's cheesy, but we're going to roll with it. I get to live just as if I'd never sinned. Your sins are wiped away. But the other part of the process is sanctification. It's becoming more and more like Christ every day of my life. Am I saying that you're going to be perfect? No, you're not going to be completely sanctified till we get there. But I do have somebody inside of me that people that don't know Jesus don't have. And it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes me towards his image. When I make decisions against it, it's that conviction inside of me that's like, man, I knew I shouldn't have done that. The problem that we face a lot of times is when we get stuck in something and we don't want to change it, we justify it. And we say, no, that's just a thorn in my side. You know what I mean? I get drunk on the weekends. It's just a thorn in my side. I, I only cuss at my spouse every once in a while. Just a thorn in my side. Okay, Paul's thorn, when he references that, was to humble him, not to justify bad decisions. Does that make sense? If you've said yes to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And it should be taking you closer and closer to the image of God. Right? When we're unified in our marriages, the Holy Spirit should be pushing us to unity. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. That we should be unified. That it, it's about two different, um, two, this is really a beautiful image. It's about Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians who are in conflict with each other because of old traditions. And Paul says, I had this revelation that we are all in the family of God. You know what I mean? It's like two worlds. Think about marriage. Two worlds. And Paul says, this is the revelation. We become one. And we're supposed to be unified in advancing the church. Unified in spreading the word. Right? Here's another way to think about it. When it comes to a relationship, how much can your head do without your neck? You hear me? Your neck holds your head up unless you like to walk around like this all the time. You better have cool shoes if you choose that way. Um, your head, your neck turns your head, right? Unless you're Batman. But the, everything that your head needs to do, if you need to look at something, your neck participates in the mission. How much can your neck do without your head? Nothing. Because the, the head is what informs your neck what to do. It's the one that governs the decision. See, the two are of the same body. They're different, but they're equal in value, and they work together to accomplish the same task. That's what relationships are, right? 
The focus is this, is unity with each other in God to accomplish what God has called us to do. Now, if that's the focus, then I think the big question that we need to ask is what brings separation? Right? If, if the focus of relationships is for us to be unified together and to be unified with God, then how many of you understand that the devil wants to bring division in, in between you and your spouse? Between you and your future spouse? Between you and the one that you're engaged to? Right? How many of you understand that the easiest way to destroy a church is divorce? It is. The easiest way to build a church is healthy marriages. And listen, if you've been down the road of divorce, man, I love you and I'm not condemning you. God loves you and we'll walk alongside you and we're going to believe for the, the best thing coming up next. Right? Uh, there's a, a horrible belief system that God hates divorcees. He doesn't. That's not true. If that's your history, listen, I'm here to tell you God loves you. He does. He does. He hates divorce because it wrecks people's lives. Think of a car wreck, right? Car wreck, car wrecks are bad. But at the end of a car wreck, what's more detrimental than the car being messed up is that the potential lives of people were endangered. You know what I mean? Listen, I don't know what your history is. If it is that route, listen, I'm here to tell you I love you. And there's a hope and there's a future because Christ is inside of you and the Holy Spirit's inside of you. Your best days are not behind you. And you are not your past. You are not your mistakes. You are not that. You are who God called you to be. Right? You're who God called you to be. So let's go through this. What are things that create division or separation between me and those that I love? Um, there's three things. If you're a note taker, write these down. You get a bigger mansion in heaven. It's not true. Okay. First one is selfishness. This is probably the biggest one. Selfishness is the biggest divider of families, the, bi the biggest divider of any relationship, period. Right? What is selfishness? It's choosing me over others. One of my favorite Jimmy Evans quotes about marriage is this, is marriage was not designed for selfish people. When we do premarital counseling, that's what we tell people. Marriage was not designed for selfish people. Right? If you want to be married, you've got to learn to not choose you all the time. Uh, and a lot of times that we get in the fights that we do, it's because I chose me over us. It's I chose my values over our values. Right? I, oh, I'm, I'm super pumped about next week. Because did you know, before it gets into wives, submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. You know what verse 21 is that often not preach? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I have a pastor friend. You're getting it early. Okay. Uh, I have a pastor friend. Every time he does a wedding, he brings up that Bible verse. And then he brings up this story where, where uh, Jesus has died. He's resurrected. And he's talking to Peter. He's like, and he tells Peter, he says, listen, you're going to have a horrible death. And Peter looks at John. He says, well, what about that guy? Like, is his going to be equal to mine? Like, why do I got to go through the tough and he gets whatever? Jesus essentially says, don't worry about him. Pay attention to you. Marriage is not 100-100. It's not 50-50. It's 100-0. It's no matter what you do your part in serving your spouse. No matter what. Matt, you should hear they talk to me. No, serve them. Serve them. We, we say this all the time. We said it a lot last year during date night. Your vows did not include happiness. <laughs> 
If you're not married yet, guess what you're not going to vow in your marriage? Happiness. If you want to be married, guess what you're not going to say? I vow to be happy. Why? Because happiness is dependent on happenings. Right? If I'm going to be married, I've got to learn to choose and serve my spouse over me 100% of the time. I've got to choose and serve my spouse 100%. So what relationships? You might be on the verge of losing relationships for a serious one. Is that harsh? I mean, I could lie to you and say, yeah, go ahead. But it just leaves, sets people up for pain if I lie. If you're selfish, listen. <laughs> Man, living out the gospel requires us to be selfless. If I'm going to be completely honest. So the greatest in the kingdom will become a servant and the, and the, and the first will become a, a slave. That's what he says. Second thing that creates division in our relationships is unmet needs. Unmet needs. Unmet needs. Um, let's, let's break something up because I think we're in a culture that easily confuses wants and needs. We confuse it. What is a, what is a want? A want is a strong desire for something. Right? I want a bigger truck. <laughs> it's a want. I don't need it. Right? I can ride a bicycle to work. I can walk. God gave me two legs. Oh, Alexis. <laughs> can we pray over her as a church? No, I'm just... A need is something that is absolutely necessary for me to continue on in life. Water is a need. Food is a need. Listen, whether you're uh, an extrovert or introvert, people or a need, right? One of the things that creates division in relationships is unmet needs. Men and women have very different needs, right? We have, uh, we would call these mega needs. So we're just going to kind of briefly talk about this. But men, here's what we need to listen to. Go ahead and leave that up. That's good. Uh, women's top need is security. When, so men, y'all listen. Y'all, I'll talk to the women here in a minute. I'm going to talk to you guys right now. Women's top need is security. Here's where we get it wrong. We think security is just financial. It's food and a roof, right? We do this every premarital counseling. There's one section that we go through because over time, men and women have a tendency to drift. And as marriages prolong, what ends up happening on the men's side of things is we drift on focusing uh, to pay, to, to provide financially a instead of cherishing our spouse. Can I remind you of something? It wasn't your money that got her to say I do. It was you chasing her, pursuing her, buying her flowers, taking her out on dates, texting her spontaneously throughout the day, sending the, the mushy text, posting the mushy Facebook post. Like that's what you did to catch her. Can I tell you, like, I'll just be real blunt. Marriage is like salvation. It's not the finishing line. It's the starting line. You know what I mean? It's the starting line. We get in trouble when we stop cherishing our spouses, right? And when we stop cherishing them, it rattles their security. Let me be real about something. Is, can, is financial a, a part of security? Yes. Yes. But they need security uh, physically. They need security emotionally. They need security mentally, right? They need to know that no matter what, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. They need to know that no matter what season of life that you're in, you're going to stand beside them, no matter the decisions that they make or how emotional that they get. 
right? They need to know that you're going to be there. Here's how you meet the need, men. Lead. Lead. Here's an interesting statistic. Y'all know what the number one attended Sunday of the year is? Easter. You know what number two is? Mother's Day. You know what the least attended Sunday of the year is? Fathers. Who's leading in the households? If I stepped on your toes, I'm not sorry. (laughs) I'm not. Men, we're called to lead. Your children should know the Bible first and foremost because of you, not because of us. Well, I don't know the Bible. Okay, download the app. Start reading it. Ask questions. The only way to get to know something is to start it. Listen, this, this is why I'm kind of being pretty blunt about this, is it was passive leadership that led to the fall in the first place. Where was Adam when Eve ate the fruit? Right next to her. Who was supposed to lead? Adam. You, you can I be real? It's passive leadership in our homes now that's leading to the fall of marriages in a generation running away from God. It's passive leadership. I'm going to teach my son how to work hard. Okay, that's good. That's part of living out our faith. But why don't you teach him about the one who gave him the ability to work hard? Or the one that gave him his life to show how how valuable your son is? You know what I mean? Or to realize that, hey, Teach your kid that it was God who gave your son to you or daughter. It was passive leadership that led to the fall, and it's passive leadership that is leading to breaking of marriages in a generation running away from God today. Now, okay, guys, I'm going to get off you guys. Women, your turn. Yeah, y'all excited. Can we skip to the next point? Nope. Um, <laughs> men's top need is honor and respect. It's honor and respect. He needs to know that you believe in him. Right? I, we, we ask marriages, couples this all the time. Like uh, when we were doing premarital, we was like, hey, so when, when an argument happens, when do you turn off? Like when is it no longer about finding an agreement? It's like, all right, I'm going to get the last word in because you ticked me off. Like when, when, when is that moment? Well, we learned from most guys, it's when women elevate their voice. When you go from having a conversation with me to yelling at me. Why? Because at that point, there's no honor. We don't feel honored or respected. How many of you understand that even if you're arguing, you can both men, you can provide security and women, you can still honor and respect. It's called fighting fair. Right? But what we also learned is that in most relationships, um, the damage that happens uh, uh, comes from women acting or wives acting more like moms instead of spouses. If you mother your husband, he will not feel respected. He won't. Right? He needs you to believe in him. He needs to know that you... Most. Uh, let me just kind of cue you in. Most men that I know, they have their top two lang- love languages are this. Physical touch and words of affirmation. Most of them. Every once in a while, there's those weirdos that are different. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but like for most men, that's what they want. They want to know that you, that, that you're, you want to touch them. My wife's is like the opposite. So if I touch her like I want her to touch me, I'm going to drive her nuts. Y'all got to pray for us, right? But it's like touch and say, hey, babe, you did a good job today. Once you know I believe in you. 
Mmm, you look good in them jeans. You know what I mean? Like, that's what most men are. They need to know that you believe in them. And here's the kicker. When they do good things and when they mess up. They need to know that you believe in them. When they, when they make a dumb decision, guess what? Ladies, we're men. We do that. Insert helper. You know what I mean? We make bad decisions. But just like you want grace from us, we need grace from you. And we need to know that even if I make a bad decision, you still believe in me. Is it possible? Is it possible that our men would lead more if we felt like we were believed in? You know what I mean? It's hard to lead if we're being mothered. Because if you mother us, what you're saying is, I don't believe you're mature enough to make decisions. So what if, what if I'm just going to throw this out there. What if the shift in men being passive to being good leaders is affirmation? It's you believing. Here's how you meet the need. Here's how you meet the need. Honor him forward. Honor him forward. What am I saying? Don't honor him for where he is right now. Honor him for where he's called to be. Let me be clear about this. Don't honor him for where you want him to be. Honor him for where God's called him to be. You know what that requires? To sit down and ask God what he says about your spouse. Not what you want your spouse to be. Right? Honor him forward. Whether he makes good decisions or bad ones. Here's a a simple leadership tip. We do this with dogs. Like, What is celebrated is repeated. (laughs) You know what I mean? What is celebrate? We do it with kids. They do something awesome. What do we do? Oh, come on. Way to go, Bradley. You want a carrot? (laughs) (laughs) We don't do carrots. My kid eats more snacks than anybody I've ever met. I'll ask our worship team to come up. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so number one thing that creates division, selfishness. Another thing, unmet needs. The last one is a big one. Number three, when we hide things. When we hide things. Genesis 2.25 reads like this. It says, Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Listen, as a young guy, this was my favorite Bible verse. I'm going to be real. Like when I first got married, I was like, Woo! Naked and unashamed. You know what I mean? I'm super pumped. But I didn't understand it. There's more to this than them just being naked and walking in a garden. Right? They were completely exposed because they had nothing to hide. You want me to tell you why they had no shame? Because sin hasn't entered the world yet. You know what I mean? They were united with each other. They were united with God. They were working towards God's, what God's called them to do. There was no shame. They ran about naked with nothing to hide. They weren't ashamed of how they looked. Sin didn't, when sin entered the world, this is really interesting. We could do a whole sermon on this. But when sin entered the world, three things happened. One is they hid themselves. Two, they were ashamed. And then they started blaming each other. Remember, the focus of goals is unity with each other. Separation came after sin and truth. God, that woman that you gave me, I, ooh, 
If that's been your prayer, you better repent. <laughs> but sin, shame doesn't enter the world until sin. You want me to tell you when people leave the church? Well, a lot of times when they're absent for a long amount of time, it's because they have shame because of something going on in their life. Right? It's easy to come to church when everything's good. I have nothing to hide. It says that they were naked and unashamed. They had nothing to hide from each other physically. They had nothing to hide from each other emotionally. Nothing to hide from each other financially. What, what finances did they have? They had a whole garden. Like they had everything. They had nothing to hide from each other mentally. They were completely transparent with each other. And when we're not transparent with each other, and somebody finds out what it is that we're trying to hide, if you've ever been in that spot, you know it's not pretty. Let me, let me be clear about this. Intimacy is not sex. Intimacy is transparency. It's a, I'm allowing you to see into my life. I'm allowing you to see into who all I am. Intimacy is vulnerability. And it's in intimacy that it can lead to sex, but that's not how you define it. In this moment, Adam and Eve are intimate. Here's the crazy thing. They're intimate with themselves and God, completely transparent before God, completely transparent before each other, right? So here's my question. What's been the focus of your relationships? If you're married in this house, what's been your focus? What are you moving towards? If you're single, what's the focus of the season that you're in? You know what I mean? Is it just in finding Johnny on the spot? Or is it becoming the person that you want to be when that way, when you're in that relationship, you're, you're not trying to grow there. You're already there. I mean, what are we aiming for? What are we progressing towards? Or are we here where we are now because we lost focus? We have the wrong one. I think today, here's my encouragement. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to ask the ministry team to come up today because I'm going to ask you to, to, if you're married, to pray with your spouse. If you're single, to pray right where you are and to ask God, what are you taking me towards this year? Where are you taking us? What are you developing and challenging in me? What is my focus? And then here's my encouragement for me encouragement is go write it down where you're going to see it every day there's a statement we said the last couple days at XO and we say it in our staff and I got it from Craig Rochelle he says this he says you don't rise to the level of your goals you fall to the level of your systems you don't rise to the level of your goals you fall to the level of your systems so as you figure out what that is, as you pray with God during this first song, write it down and then develop a game plan. Say, this is what we're going to go after. You want me to tell you what developing a game plan does? It gives you permission to say, things, to say no to things that aren't in that direction. Man, this was, this was our goal and somebody invited us to this. Man, I'm sorry, we can't. That's just not, we're not called to go that way this year. Man, this is my goal, and, you know, this is, this is what you're inviting me to do, but I can't because, you know, that's just not what God called me to individually this year. You know I mean, here's, 
our hope for today is that no matter what season you're, you're in, single, engaged, or married, you leave this place with a focus. You leave this place. We, in, in our church world, we call it a vision. So that we could be unified with each other and unified with God to accomplish all that He's called us to do. Let's stand. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank You so much for this time. God, and I thank You for Your Word. God, I pray we never take it for granted because it speaks to us in every season of our life. So God, I pray over all the singles in the room, God, and I pray that you would give them a focus, that you would give them a vision, that our, our hope, we should hope in who you're going to bring in our life. But God, I pray that you would create an urgency in us to become who you've created us to be for that season. God, I pray for those that are engaged, God, that you would give them a focus, God, that would prepare them for this next season of life so that we can work towards unity. God, and I prayed over all the marriages in this room, and I pray, God, that you give them focus. That our goal isn't to just get through another year, but it's to have a purpose and a plan to walk through it together, side by side, so that our marriages and our relationships could float. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray, and everybody say Hey, that's the message. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it inspired you. I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. In fact, if you would like to join us as a part of our online campus and you would like to watch the video as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing week.